when the, the, the symptoms came back, I felt like I kept taking deep breaths and I'm like, something ain't right. Like, yo, something. So it felt like a giant cavity was in my chest. So I would take deep breaths and I felt like somebody was reaching into my chest to like punch a hole in it. Like it was crazy. So for about two to three days, I had that. And at that point, I was like, okay, do I need to go to ICU or what do I need to do? But thankfully, the fever passed again for the second time. And then from there, the, the symptoms have been minimal since. Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Fatherhood Podcast. If you've been listening for a while, you've, you've noticed the intro music to the show, and um, I'm happy to have on the show today the man behind the the quote-unquote beat and sound of the Fatherhood Podcast, Mr. Uh, Kelvin Lewis, a.k.a. Lee Trouble, is with me today. What's going on, my man? I'm in the building, man. All is well, man. Glad, thank you for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Just to give you all some background, I've known Lee for quite some time uh, via social media, and we, we've done some some things together years ago, and um, just been a real solid dude. Um, been able to get to know him virtually for for quite some time, and I appreciate him um, him joining uh, me today on the show. So, Lee, you know, I'm going to refer to you as Lee throughout the podcast. That's what I know you as. So, just just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, man. Man, I ain't, I ain't nobody. No, I'm joking. Um, so I'm Lee Trouble, born and raised in Arizona. Uh, I'm a musical producer. Uh, I've, I've been a musical producer since 2009. Uh, worked for several labels, been on tour, worked in Hollywood. I currently technically work in L.A., uh, but my job lets me work remotely in Phoenix. So right now I'm back in Phoenix. Um, I'm a father of two, two boys, 13 and 9. Married for 14 years, and um, I have a lot going on as usual, but at the same time, I try to make sure I pace myself when I take on new endeavors and stuff, man. So I just try to keep things in perspective. And on Twitter, I mean, uh, I'm kind of notorious, but I've, I've bailed out a lot. So you know, <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, follow at your own risk. Just don't complain when something crazy comes out of my mouth because it really is just my thoughts, man. I'm not really trying to upset anybody. Yeah, yeah, great, man. And, you know, one of the questions I ask Lee, everyone who comes on my show, just what does being a father mean to you? Um, it is the most important thing in the world to me. And I say that not just not, not giving it lip service, but there have been many opportunities out there, especially in the music industry, that I've passed on, you know, passed on to the next person, paid it forward in the sake of fatherhood. And I've made those sacrifices despite the fact, you know, I may have had the talent or have been in a position to be there. But for me, father has been number one. I became a father at 21 years old while I was in college. So I, I, I took it very seriously from the get-go. 
I was a father that was, you know, born to class, working two, three jobs, taking care of the baby while my wife worked overnight. So that's been my entire identity as an adult is being a father. So I take it very seriously. Yeah, man. What was that like, man? A father at 21. You know, I became a father at uh, 36, 35, 36. So what was, you know, coming becoming a father, quote unquote, early on in life? Man, it was it was rough, man. It was just one of those things where um, you you say you're gonna do all this, you say you're gonna be you're gonna provide, and at 21, you're not prepared to do a lot of things. You're not prepared to provide. You're not prepared to live uh, correctly. You're in college, so you got your boys around you. Yeah. Uh, fortunately for, for for me, my wife is um, four to five years older than me, so she mm. was already she had her job. She was on her degree. So honestly, having her in my life made it a lot easier to be a father where all I had to do was basically just be there. And um, for the first two or three years of my marriage, it was, it was you know, the roles were pretty much reversed in terms of, you know, provider and anything that matter. I got my degree and then from there, the roles kind of switched. But at the same time, um, my wife has really been kind of the, the foundation that we built this family around and stuff. So I was very fortunate to have a wife that, was older and understood my my, my situation. It was very patient with me. Yeah, man. And, and talking about fatherhood, man, uh, share with me, uh, if you can, at least some, some role models or some men you may have looked up to um, growing up and even as you became a young father that you wanted to pattern your approach to, to being a dad after. I mean, every, I think every man, you know, that has a father says they pattern themselves after their father. Um, so I would say my father definitely, for one, uh, my dad's a pastor, and my dad's in the military at the same time. And even though he was super busy and I ended up being super busy as an adult, I think he always tried to make sure as a father that he was in the room. And what I mean by that is even though he may not you know, be next to me all the time, just his presence and stuff made a difference as far as how the house was ran. So like just having that. So I think, and as you know, the parent, Jamari, like you're starting to understand the good cop, bad cop type of scenario mm-hmm. where sometimes you have to play the good cop, sometimes you have to play the bad cop. So with my approach, it's a lot like my father's where I try to keep everything kind of real chill, real easy. I don't like being stressed out in my home and I try to be the comic relief as well. So if there's like a tense moment with the kids, I try to break up the tension, like keep things in perspective and keep everybody on task, man, because, you know. I'm all for, you know, discipline. I'm all for order and structure. But at the same time, you know, we're blessed with great kids. So we don't have to crack the whip too hard on them. Yeah, yeah. And, and on the flip side, man, what are, what are some things maybe that, you know, you experienced um, with your dad and that father-son dynamic you had growing up that you said, hey, maybe I don't want to do it this way when I become a father? That's a great question. And for oh. Maybe during my teenage years, I had a bit of resentment towards my dad because he was so busy and I feel like and he was in the military. So like he's being deployed and then he gets back and it's all about, you know, building up the church and everything. I felt like, you know, my pivotal years, like from age to about maybe seven to about 13, I felt like he wasn't there for me as much as I wanted him to be. Uh, so what I told myself, you know, when I grew up and, you know, became a father is I'm going to be a complete opposite of that. It's not, he's not a bad father. He's an amazing father. I'm, I'm blessed to have him. It's just that at the time, you know, I understood that I understood the sacrifices he was making for the betterment of, you know, God's kingdom. So I didn't hold that against him. But I told myself, okay, I'm going to be every father. I'm going to be every father. I'm going to be the little league coach. 
I'm going to be the father that plays video games with my kids. I'm going to be the father that is super involved, but not too involved to the point where I'm suffocating my kids. So I took that experience, you know, all that pain I had as a kid and stuff, and I poured it into my fatherhood. And, you know, my dad has, you know, he saluted me, he saluted me several times just on how great a father I am and stuff. And, and his biggest regret as it, is that he didn't spend more time with us as kids. So I think he has that perspective, and I had that perspective as well. And it's helped me become a much better father than I can ever imagine. Yeah, great, man. I think, you know, I can relate to that. We have similar stories uh, in terms of that. And I can understand that sort of resentment that, that sometimes you you can feel um, being a, father, a son of a father who's in the, in the public, public eye, so to speak. But kind of to the evolution, you talked about, you know, your dad experiencing. How have you evolved, Lee, as a father, um, becoming a father at 21 to now you have – I think his son going into high school, I believe. Yes, sir. I'm washed, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm washed. So it's like, you know, it's like I became, I'm like the old head among my friend groups and stuff, which is, you know, a blessing because like I, all my friends now are having little babies, little kids, little toddlers stuff, and they're going crazy. And I just look back like, ah, yeah. I've been there. I've done that. Enjoy these years because you don't get them back, blah, blah, blah. So, I'm the I'm the I'm the dad now that relies on technology for my kids. Like if I need something to work in the house, I'm no longer like the tech savvy person that I used to be. I'm like, hey son, fix this or yeah. turn this on or you know look for this on the internet. It's it's just a weird different dynamic. And with parenting, as your kids get older, it doesn't really get harder. Just your challenges change. So like you know, I have a kid going into high school, and that's an experience in itself. And I have another kid that's still going into fourth grade two different challenges, two different experiences. And you can't parent your kids the same way. You have to parent your kids based on their personalities and what, you know, and, and basically you have to look within yourself as well. That helps you become a better parent. So how do you balance it to I me? Mean, on one hand, you have a teenager and there's some things that, you know, as he becomes a young man, you have to deal with. And as he goes to high school, you know, there's some things you have to deal with on, on many different levels. And you know, on, other, on the other hand, you have a fourth, Greater, which I imagine eight, nine, ten year old range, um, different different stage of life. So, how do you balance those two? I am a homebody at, at my core. Um, so, like at thirty six, so like you know, I spent my entire, even though I've been a father, I spent my entire adult life, you know, basically pursuing every single musical endeavor. So, I've gone on tour, I've worked with you know, Interscope and you know, uh, in, in um, Warner. I've been worked in Hollywood. I work for Sony. So I've done everything I needed to do in terms of, you know, achieving my musical aspirations. So when that kind of wrapped up, I mean, at my core, I'm a homebody. I don't like mm-hmm. to really go out. I don't really like to, I mean, I also get kicked with the homies every once in a while. I go to a happy hour and stuff, but I'm a bit, I'm actually a bit of an introvert now. So that helps me be a better father because I'm home. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm home. The kids, what do you want to watch? What do you want to do? Let's go do something. It's a little bit harder now with COVID, but I always try to build my universe around my kids and not my kids build their universe around whatever I'm doing. So, so being a homebody actually is a good transition into, you know, into what we want to talk about. The focus of the, our conversation today is um, your experiences during the quarantine. So before we get into deep into that conversation, just talk generally about how has that experience been for you guys um, and, and for you from the fatherhood perspective of having the kids at home or being at home for the past three, four months? 
So it's kind of, our, my situation is a little weird. So I took a new job in LA in January. And so I was actually splitting households. So I was going back and forth between Los Angeles and Phoenix and stuff. And that was the first three months of 2020. And in the times I'd be home, I would go into overdrive and everything. And then, you know, late March, early April, everything's just down. My my company is like, y'all can work remote and everything. So I come back home and stuff, and, you know, the kids have gotten pretty comfortable with that, without dad. And what I mean by that is, you know, mom had to play both roles for a hot minute. And uh, I, count, I come back and everything, and, you know, it's like, okay, now we'll have to readjust our space, our energy, the way we talk to each other. And, you know, I've been married for a long time. I've been a father for a long time, so I'm not a fit in everything. Uh, but it's, it's been, it's been pretty cool. I, I love this new normal. Um, I love being able to, you know, wake up and turn, turn on my laptop and go to work. I love being with my kids, helping them with homework and stuff and going outside and playing baseball in the middle of the day. So, I mean, it's 110 degrees outside, but <laughs> right now, you know, but yeah, but just, you know, I, I this is kind of like my dream scenario to be completely honest, just being home with my kids and my wife working and not, you know, traveling in a hundred degrees weather and not going back and forth to LA and stuff. This has been pretty ideal. So I've been, been grateful and just been you know, thanking God for it, to be completely honest. Yeah, that's great, man. Glad you're able to, to have that experience and be, you know, be stable and to be at home. Um, but also, you know, obviously COVID has been the, the hot topic of, of this year so far and, and its impact on our daily lives. But you, you experienced it firsthand. So just talk to a little bit about that experience. So, um, June 13th, uh, so I, I, when, I got, when I got back, I was helping out my friend at church, and he, he started up a church, and, you know, it's a pretty cool scenario, so he asked me to play piano for him, so started doing that. Uh, so for about two months, nothing really happened, and then um, one day I wake up, and I, I can't talk. Like, I, my throat is sore. I feel like a frog is jumping up and down my throat. So I, it turns out that I made contact with one of the guest preachers we had for that Sunday, mm. who two days later got COVID. So I'm like, oh, crap. So I go through a week having strep throat. And then after that, I lose my sense of taste and smell. Then the fevers come. I get a 103 fever, 104 wow. fever, the body aches, the fatigue, all that stuff. So I knew right away that it was probably COVID. It took about a week for me to get my results, but once I got it, I had to self-quarantine. And, you know, the, my family, to their credit, has been very good. We've been very, very good about it. Um, I had a, I was confined to the master bedroom, really couldn't leave. If I had to leave my bedroom, I had to wear a mask and stuff. Everything was disinfected. I had to wash my hands multiple times, took a ton of medication, a ton of vitamins. And uh, I was sick for about three to four weeks, just, mm. you know, something. And the symptoms would rotate. So like one day I had chills and body aches and fatigue another day i have a fever and a headache and nausea it was just it was crazy man but um i'm past the worst of it now and uh, i still can't smell but i'm, I'm grateful just to um be you know they had to go to icu or you know the boys didn't see me in a week and state that much i was still kind of myself my energy just wasn't the same as it, what it normally was well, well, I'm glad that you are uh, getting better, man. It's not um, as as bad as it could have been. But, you know, going through that process, first of all, how did you explain it to, to your boys? And, you know, how did you, you know, your reaction, how did you deal with it personally? I mean, were you surprised that you got it? Were you taking the precaution? Just take us a little bit through that. So um, when my, kid, my kids knew I was sick. So it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't a situation where they were scared. 
I, they don't really watch a lot of news, but they do. They are aware of what's going on and everything. So when I talk to them, they're like, okay, cool, you know, we're here, Dad, if you need us and everything. They're very helpful and stuff. They're like, you know, we guys keep our distance from Dad. My youngest is very affectionate, so that was a bit of an adjustment for him. So he can't touch Daddy. He can't you know, hug Daddy. He can't talk to Daddy closely. So that was a bit of an adjustment. Um, but as far as, like, expecting COVID, um, Arizona was, was pretty good at first. We actually yeah. reacted the right way when it first came out. And for some odd reason, I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but our governor decided to open up everything and not have any precautions in order, not factoring ICU capacity and everything. So from like May to July, it exploded. And it was only a matter of time before somebody in our circle got it. And my wife, is you know she leaves the house more than I do. I only left the house once a week, and that was for church. Yeah. And so I was like, my chances of getting it in the church is like less than 10, 15 people. So I'm like, okay, we're all distance. It's 10, 15 people. What are my chances of getting it? Still got it. My wife has been out three or four times a week. Every week hasn't gotten anything. So it was just random happenstance, man. It was one of those things where I thought we were doing the right thing. I wasn't leaving the house much, but I still got it. So, you know, I had to just deal with it from there. Wow. Well, that's very interesting, man. Um, but was there a point um, during, the, I guess, the, the worst of it, so to speak, did, was there a point, Lee, that, that fear set in? Did you ever experience that? Yes. So I think maybe week two, two things happened. So uh, I got fevers for about three days, and then the symptoms, the fever broke. So I'm like, okay, the fever broke. I'm good to go. I can get back to normal. Literally two days later, Jamar, the fever came back. I was two days healthy, and in two days, everything came back, and it came back harder. And I was like, oh, crap. On top of that, because the, the underrated thing about COVID is your lungs. So when the, the, the symptoms came back, I felt like I kept taking deep breaths, and I'm like, something ain't right. Like, yo, something. So it felt like a giant cavity was in my chest. So I would take deep breaths, and I felt like somebody was reaching into my chest to, like, punch a hole in it like it was crazy so for about two to three days i had that and at that point i was like okay do i need to go to icu or what do i need to do but thankfully the fever passed again for the second time and then from there the, the symptoms have been minimal since but that when the, when the breathing when my when my lungs started doing that i was like oh wait a minute and honestly i'm still not out of the clear like i'm, I'm healthy now i feel healthy i feel great but there's always a possibility that these symptoms can come back so it's just trying to make sure that you're you're staying isolated, staying quarantined, and you're taking vitamins. That's the main thing. Um, vitamins and, you know, just keeping your distance from people. So we're talking about, you know, your experience with, with COVID and, um, you know, how, how that affected you from a fatherhood perspective. You know, as fathers, we like to be in control of things, be the head of the household, that sort of thing. So how difficult for was it for you to sort of be, kind of helpless, so to speak, uh, during that period. So my wife obviously was very concerned every day, but she was pretty cynical about it. So that actually helped where she's like, you know, you have COVID, but you're not dying. And I'm like, you got might be dying right now. Wait a minute. Like, I'm legitimately sick. It's like, you're fine. I'm like, no, I'm sick. And I would show her my temperature. She's like, okay, you are sick. So we just we try to keep a sense of humor about the entire process. And uh, for the most part, um, she just moved back into the bedroom earlier this week and everything. So honestly, you know, we have a good dynamic where 
she'll, she'll take things a little seriously, and I'll get on her nerves and try to break up the tension. And if I'm being overly dramatic, she, she's like, dude, calm down. You're, you're fine. Like, so there's a good balance there. I want to go back a little bit, Lee, and talk and wrap, put a bow on the, the fear that, that you experienced. Um, how did you deal with that, and how did you overcome that, that sense of uncertainty and fear that you may have um, felt, you know, when you're going through the, the really the deep part of COVID, so to speak? Um, prayer, man. Prayer. Um, I don't like being sick, and this is – the COVID was the most sick I've ever been in my adult life. And um, I just, just stuck to prayer and praying to God and stuff and just maintain my faith and just try to persevere, man. I think um, the support I got from people I told and Twitter was overwhelming. So that that really helped as well. I tried. I was going to be discreet about just sharing that I had COVID. My wife really didn't want me to kind of be public about it. But I, I told her, I'm like, hey, you know, for a lot of people, I might be the only person they know that has COVID. So it's not so much me trying, you know, fish for sympathy, but I'm like, I could genuinely help somebody understand what this feels like and everything. So I think sharing my story, having people reach out for their support, that really got me through as well. I think every every single person that, you know, I mess with and, you know, some people that care about me reached out. And it was just simple text, phone calls, DMs, everything. Like, yo, you good? You good? And honestly, that helped me. That kept helping me through. I have some genuinely good friends and followers and acquaintances and associates and everything. And I did it without trying to be, play the sympathy card. I didn't need anybody's sympathy. I just needed to make sure that people understood what this was and how to deal with it if it hits you or somebody that you love. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a young uh, dad, um, young, you know, having a not quite two year old, you know, I've learned that, you know. Emory's always watching me, always has an eye on what I'm doing and how I'm reacting to certain things. And, you know, I've learned that there are going to be times where I'm going to have to use my experiences um, as a lesson to teach him. So I'm, I'm wondering, what has what have you taken from this experience that you've gone through over the past few weeks? And how what type of lesson are you going to try to teach your boys about what you've gone through and how you dealt with it? Uh, don't give up. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's very cliche, I'm sorry, but just don't give up and try to make sure that you understand that this is happening for a reason, that your suffering is not in vain. And that at the same time, you might be going through this, but you're going to be able to use your story to help somebody else. Because at the end of the day, if you're not pointing to other people, I don't know, I mean, you're, you're not going to be happy long term. So I think what my what my kids, what they saw with me, and also maintain your sense of humor. Like, I think what helped our, my kids really understand the gravity of what was going on is that, hey, dad's sick, but dad's out here cracking jokes, being funny, trying to be self-deprecating. Like, they saw like they saw me through all this. They, they didn't see somebody that was fake and trying to overcompensate and really try to show how sick he was. They saw that I was still myself. And I hope when they go through any kind of adversity in their life that they don't compromise who they are in order to meet the situation. And, you know, growing up, especially, you know, a black kid in Arizona where Arizona's maybe four or five percent black, it can be easy to grow up here and try to conform to everything else that's going around because you don't have that foundation around you, the, Afri- the African-American foundation around you to kind of put you on, on task and be culturally relevant to what's going on. So, um, 
yeah, man, just try to be yourself through the good times and the bad times and just try to make sure you keep things in proper perspective. So so what, if any, having gone through this and you're still, you know, on the, on the back end of it, what, if any, lifestyle changes, Lee, are you going to be making post-COVID? So the, the kind of silver lining with COVID, I lost 10 pounds. And what it did is I had to completely cut out alcohol. I had to completely cut out edibles. I, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm known for taking edibles. So I had to, like, cut back on all that. My appetite changed. I couldn't eat, like, greasy processed food anymore. And uh, it got to a point where all I could eat was, like, vegetables because of the nausea. If I eat anything heavy, it would all throw it up. So and it also reduced my appetite. So I'm not eating nearly as much as I used to. So as a result, I lost 10 pounds uh, in like two weeks. And then I lost like another 10, like another five to 10 pounds in the last two weeks. So I've been drinking a lot more water. I've been taking a lot more vitamins. I don't drink anymore. Uh, if I do drink, it's on the weekends. I don't do it during the week anymore. I uh, don't do edibles. Uh, I try to make sure that I try to get some form of exercise and keep my lungs healthy. And uh, I think it's the silver line is that I'm a lot healthier coming out of it in terms of my diet. I feel a lot better. I don't feel bloated. I don't feel tired. I have energy and everything. And uh, those are like the changes I want to take from this point forward with uh, with going through COVID and everything. It's actually worked out for the best in terms of my my overall health. That's very interesting, man. And hopefully the information you provide can help um, the listeners kind of get a better understanding of what it actually is as opposed to, you know, what you're reading and hearing on TV, which kind of leads me to my next question. What about the experience was in line with what we are hearing about on TV and in, in the media? And what was different about your experiences versus how it's presented uh, to us on, on television? Uh, gratefully, you know, I didn't have any pre-existing conditions. So, I mean, what you're seeing on the news a lot, especially with the ICUs and stuff, is people with pre-existing conditions and older people. Now, there are some cases where there are healthy young adults that do end up in ICU. So that is real. But for me, that was not my experience. Uh, regardless if you're an Olympic athlete or if you're somebody that's on my 600-pound life, this thing can hit you. So that is true. Uh, now, the one thing that, um, you know, with the news is the ICU capacity is a real thing. Uh, it took me, so it took me a week to get a test in Arizona. And it took me about another week to find my results out because of the capacity. Everybody was overwhelmed. They were, they had, you had to get appointments just to get a COVID test where maybe two or three months ago, it was free. And you can just go up to a, a, a minute clinic and get a test. So that is real. The capacity that you're seeing and people in, in healthcare industry being overwhelmed, that is real. Uh, people are being turned away for testing because, you know, they might have COVID. And, 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 you know, I had to go to a different city twice to get a test. So that would be, I guess, the one re- thing you're seeing on the news that is real. And uh, But with my experiences, thankfully, I didn't have to go to ICU. That's probably the only thing that that's not matching up what you're seeing, but I had COVID for sure. Um, I wish I would, I didn't, but I, I had it, so I can attest to it. So, so the, the, the debate now, you know, as, as we approach August, September, obviously, is what do you do for schools and parents? You know, all over the country having those debates. Um, you see it on social media all the time. You know, am 
I going to send my kids back to school? Are we going to do it virtually? What, what's the right decision? You know, you have a unique perspective as someone who's gone through that and someone who's a father um, at a vulnerable with kids at vulnerable ages, one starting in high school and one in fourth grade. So what is your perspective on how that should be approached, how the school situation should, should be approached? So we've had a chance to kind of experiment with this. So my, my oldest has been taking classes since um, they got out. So he got promoted from eighth grade. And from, from June to about now, he's been in virtual classes in a virtual setting. And uh, he's been adjusting pretty well to it. Um, he's got a- A's and B's and stuff. Now, um, the social element, I know that's more that's important for my kids, especially my youngest one. But my youngest one is very social. Uh, but I think with the classroom setting, it needs to be virtual, at least through the end of this year, because we have to, you know, make sure the trend goes down before we can make any plans. And right now, it's kind of it's kind of still climbing at this point. So as far as my kids go, in terms of, you know, the way they approach education and everything, I think they understand that it's going to be temporary and they have to keep things in perspective. We, I mean, before COVID, we tried to, like, invite their friends over and they could spend the night and stuff and everything and, you know, safely and everything like that. So we try to, you know, incorporate some social aspects into things because I think a huge part of school is being social and everything. Uh, but at the same time, since I had COVID and everything like that, I, I'm not in any hurry to send my kids back to school. And for myself, I'm not in any hurry to get back to work because we still don't have a vaccine. We still don't know a lot about the long-term effects of COVID. And it, it, things can come back any minute. So I don't want to put anybody else at risk. And by putting myself, my, my, by having COVID, my kids always are going to be exposed to it one way or another if I continue to show symptoms. So I just think we have to be very smart about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, would your opinion on that have been different had you not gone through COVID? I think it would have been the same. So I saw uh, firsthand in L.A. how bad it got. And um, I had friends that had it. So I was already like, yo, I'm coming home. Like, it's not safe to be in L.A. right now. So I come home. (laughs) A month later, I get it. So I'm like, okay. So it, my, my, my perspective was always, okay, we're going to listen to the medical experts in this way in science. And I thought, you know, we were doing a good job at first. That's why I was like, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm, it's safer to be in Arizona. Uh, so I don't think my perspective changed for the most part. Now that I have it, and I, I, I won't say I had it bad. I'm still alive and everything. I didn't have to go to a hospital, like I keep saying. But um, I do think that, you know, we have to be very smart and listen to science on this one. I can't believe this is a bipartisan issue. I can't believe people are hijacking a pandemic and making it about wearing a mask. Wear your damn mask. Like, that's the least you can do in order to prevent somebody else from getting it. And uh, I know going through it myself, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. I really wouldn't because you're literally in a bed all day. You're all you're, you're isolated from everybody. It can get lonely. It can get depressing at times. And that's the hard part. It's not so much the symptoms. The symptoms are just icing on the cake. It's the isolation. It's the quarantine. It's the, okay, I can't go see my parents anytime I want to. I can't see my friends. I can't go into my office. Like that, those are things you had to take into effect with COVID. Is It's not so much the sickness, it's the isolation and the quarantine that comes along with the sickness that has people losing hope and losing faith in, you know, in their, their health and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking to Kelvin Lewis today on the Fatherhood Podcast. 
also known as Lee Trouble. And Lee, you know, one of the things aside from COVID that, that's been dominating the, the headlines this, this, over the course of the summer, obviously, have been the protests as a result of um, the killing murder of George Floyd. And I'm wondering how you have handled that um, in your household as a father of two uh, young black boys. How have you, what type of conversations have you had with them about it and how has it impacted you personally? Okay. Um, so honestly, uh, my cynicism came out and not so much about George Floyd, but so black people, and I kept saying this, I said this to my fraternity meeting and everything. I said, I'm tired of talking. Like if you don't get it at this point with all the academic research that's been done, with all the video evidence, with all the, you know, all the evidence you have that we are systematically oppressed. If you don't get it at this point, I'm not sure what we can say at this point to convince you. And the thing is, and I told my kids this, like, we're, black people are not responsible for racism. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can say. There isn't a certain way that we can dress in order to prevent racism. It's going to happen whether you're in a three-piece Tom Ford suit or if you're in, you know, chucks and, you know, some shorts and a do-rag. It's going to happen because that's the way the system is set up. And I try to educate my kids on the design of system that racism and what it looks like. It's not going to be as overt as somebody calling you the N-word. And uh, last week I had a conversation with my kids about racism I faced grew up in Arizona. Because as you know about Arizona, there's have a reputation of being a very conservative state probably the only conservative state on the west side of the United States. And growing up, you know, being the only black kid in your class, you know, mostly your entire life and stuff, you're, it, it's, it exists in different forms. There's microaggressions. There's the, you're not as smart as you think you are. There's the, you know, you may not, you know, you should go to community college because it might be safer for you. It could be, oh, wait, you're in college and you're not an athlete. Like, those are things I tell my kids to look out for because that is racism that is going to manifest into something else. You're not like those other black kids. Why You have glasses. You're so smart. Like, those are, like, the things that they have to look out for, racism. So with George Floyd's death, that was America's opportunity to basically revisit how this, this system has broken us and at a point where we're no longer talking. It, it, we can't say anything to prevent racism. This has to start with the people that are in charge of racism. And the people that happen to be in charge of racism, unfortunately, is white people. So, you know, so the thing is, there's responsibility, there's fault, there are things we can do, there are things we can do from a, you know, a, a race standpoint. But at the same time, unless white people change laws, change the, the, the system that they designed, Nothing's going to change. We have people from the generation before us that are still marching for the same things. And, you know, in rest in peace, John Lewis, John Lewis, you know, I hope we're not trying to pacify him as this docile, you know, complicit type of human. This dude was radical. This dude spoke at the I Have a Dream speech. Like, this dude has always been about that life. And, you know, without compromise. And um, I think Black people are, because if we can't compromise, our other option is revenge. And honestly, nobody wants that. We don't want to revolt. That doesn't really end well for us. We're not the majority. And uh, But to white people's credit, I'll give some white people credit. 
I have, a, and I saw this in Portland and in Minneapolis. They are there. There's a lot of people that get the message now and are making changes on our behalf. They see the problem and they're putting their voices to it. My son's generation, Generation Z, is doing a great job. There are some ignorant people out there, but they're doing a great job marching, standing out marches, protesting for the right things. You know, writing letters to the senators and you know the congressmen and stuff. They are. They're going to be the generation that changes it. I think. I don't think it's going to be our generation. I think our generation can hold the, our previous generation for not doing enough, but I think the younger generation is going to be the generation that really shifts this country into the right direction. Awesome, man. Uh, let me let me get you out of here on this, my man. Um, you've you've been through a lot these past few weeks, past month or so, as well as what we just talked about with with the the, the state of the the country. How would you? I know we it's just just July. We still have what five more months to go in twenty twenty. But how would you sum up? the experiences both personally and just on a broader scale of, of the summer of 2020? Uh, that's For a great question. For you personally and just, um, you know, just the world as a whole. Um, I think God, this is the summer and this is the year God is trying to get our, our attention. I think this is the year of everything being exposed and everything all the curtains are being pulled back. You can't hide behind your wealth. You can't be hide behind your status. You can't hide behind your profession. And I think what this summer has taught me is that you cannot hide behind your laurels anymore. You have to face whatever, whatever truth that you've been avoiding for the longest time. You have to protect. You have to come forward with it. You have to make yourself known to people where you stand on the issues. And Unfortunately, you know, which is the way COVID has been hijacked, you know, a lot of people have stumbled out the gate trying to be themselves. And you see the outrage machine correcting a lot of things that are, you know, a lot of perceptions that are out there. I think the summer has exposed a lot of things. I think for myself personally, it's been exhausting. It's been exhausting to watch. It's been exhausting to explain to my kids. Uh, but at the same time, it can only go up from here. Uh, November is only three, three, four months away. I hope the country makes the right decision as far as choosing a leader that will lead us forward. And maybe, you know, maybe this will be the last time we look a pandemic in the face and be like, okay, uh, you guys are infringing upon my rights. No, this was the year everything was exposed. You saw everything. You saw racism. You saw classism. You saw, you saw millionaires losing their wealth. You saw, I mean, outside of Jeff Bezos, you saw everybody lose their livelihoods. There's 45 million people unemployed. Like, this is the year that everything, the curtain was pulled under us, and God's trying to give our attention. So how are you going to respond to God? How are you going to respond? Are you going to still hide behind your, your faith? Are you going to still go to an all-white church and speak hateful, conservative rhetoric against my people? Or are you going to be an ally? What does your allyship look like? Are, are, what, what are you going to tell your kids at this point, seeing George Floyd getting killed on TV that the entire world reacted to? What are you going to do? So this is an opportunity for us to really take advantage of just everything that's going on, understanding it for what it is, and hopefully going up from here. Because America's reputation is at an all-time low, where countries don't want us, we're laughing stock, so many people unemployed, and, you know, 
and we had somebody at the home that could barely read at a twelfth, a, a second grade reading level. So that sorry to go on the soapbox, man. No, I'm just that, very that passionate was, about this. No, I totally understand, man. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you're well. Um, I know you have a story to tell and a testimony about this experience you've gone through personally, but I'm glad things are looking on the up and up for you. Um, before I let you go, man, tell tell um, our listeners how they can get in touch with you. What are you working on? You know, plug plug whatever your artists and shows you have coming up. Just just uh, let the people know how they can find you. Uh, for, for, before I do that, man, thanks for having me on, man. I love this podcast because you know it just gives fathers an opportunity to really have a platform to really discuss. Because fatherhood doesn't look the same for everybody. Fatherhood it looks different for a lot of people. You, you have a two year old. I have somebody in high school and a fourth grader. So this is a really, really cool podcast that you're doing, man. I really appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, blessings to you, your family and stuff, man. And get some sleep because, you know, you're going to get older, get busier, you're going to be in sports and all that type of stuff. But um, as far as my stuff, um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Lee Trouble, which is L-E-E-T-R-B-L. Same on Instagram. I dropped up uh, an album uh, in June called Atomic Samurai. Uh, I like a lo-fi, chill, down-tempo type of beat. Uh, I do production as well as musicians type of stuff. I'm working on an 80s project right now. Um, and then from there, I got a couple other things coming up in the pipeline. I'm working on an anime series, an action series and stuff. And I'm in touch with animators and stuff to try to tell my story and everything. So I got a lot, always got something going on. Whether it's music, podcasting, traveling, concerts. But, you know, at the same time, man, I was trying to take life, you know, for where it is and stuff, and enjoy it. So, you know, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I want to thank my man Lee for joining me on the podcast today. And as always, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard on today's show, be sure to leave a review on iTunes and a rating. As always, you can find the Fatherhood Podcast on social media at the Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram. And be sure to like the Fatherhood Podcast page on Facebook. Until next time, I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is the Fatherhood Podcast.